You amigos out there, players, players, doo-doo-dats, everybody in between, welcome back to episode 124 of this thing we call, this thing of ours, we call Game of Crimes, the 124th attempt, again, to silence us, but we shall not go quietly into that good night, shall we, Murph? Heck no. And why didn't you say bienvenidos? You don't want everybody getting the Bienvenidos, Willkommen, you know, benvenuti, you know, we could do all of those. What's that? Up your snooty. Up your snooty. Mr. Ludi. Well, anyway, hey guys, welcome back to the next installment. And this is going to be a good one too. We'll tell you a little bit more about this, but we're going to kind of take a page out of the playbook of Rick Rambo. We got a lot of great comments back on Rick. So we're going to kind of repeat that in something that's a little more serious, but we think you guys will like. So guys, welcome back. Once again, we talk about housekeeping because that's what the script says. Apple, Spotify, hit those five stars. Uh, You know, we love it. We appreciate it. Just give us your feedback. We always look forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Um, you know, and just just let us know what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what other things you'd like to hear. So hit that Spotify, Apple, hit those five stars. It really helps us out a lot. Also, head on over to our website, GameofCrimesPodcast.com. We've got some great guests coming up. Uh, we just uh, actually, um, on this last Thursday before this episode, our interview with Jillian Lauren came out. Uh, mm-hmm. She's the one who interviewed Samuel Little. Uh, we've got her book posted up there, so we've got a lot of great content coming out. That's where you're going to find information about her. Uh, but you got to read that. You know, uh, dude is, I mean, just that talk about evil incarnate, somebody who you're killed 90, 96 women. <sighs> Unbelievable. Ugh. Unbelievable. But that's you're going to find that over on our website along with her book. Also, follow us on that thing they call social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes podcast on Facebook and the Instagram, but where you got to be, where we just finished up recording another special segment of you can't make this shit up you got to be over at patreon patreon.com slash game of crimes with an s game of crimes patreon.com slash game of crimes uh feel like we should have an 800 number you know how they always do the 800 number on the radio call 1-800 you know that's 1-800 there's a reason they do it three times because it's supposed to imprint it into your brain so uh-huh patreon.com slash game of crimes there's the third one right murph we just got i mean we just did you can't make this shit up i'm telling you if nothing else, you got to listen to it for two things. Number one, you got to find out what Operation Deals on Wheels is, and you got to find out what Ass to Crack Going to Town means. <laughs> or no, Crack to Sack Going to Town. Yeah. You got to yep. find out what that means. Oh, we're not going to tell you anymore. You got to go find out. You got to go listen to it. And if you're not listening to it, where can you find it? Game of Crimes. Uh, or patreon.com slash game of crime. So we got lots of great stuff. We've got case of the month coming out. We'll have our monthly narcometer review, uh, our bonus videos and a lot of good stuff coming up. So make sure you go visit us there. Also, uh, go into that thing they call facebook.com type in game of crimes fans, hit our fan page run by our favorite mafia queen, Sandy Salvato rules with the iron fist with a velvet glove ensconced around the iron fist. So it doesn't feel as bad when you get smacked with that upside the head for being an ass hat. So don't be an ass hat. Just come have fun. Go to our Facebook page. Uh, go to Facebook.com. Type in Game of Crimes fans. Answer a couple questions, Murph. You know, it's it's easy. If you got in, anybody can get in. That's the absolute truth. I won't refute that at all. Yeah. I was well, a little worried when I answered the question. I was afraid I wouldn't get in. <laughs> But you know, Murph, uh, this is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. We do take the story seriously, but... Ladies and gentlemen, we will never take ourselves serious. And because we don't take ourselves seriously, it is that part of... I can't believe there was one person who said he thought he didn't like hearing small town police blotter. Just get with the story. Well, I'm sorry, pal. 
we are we are we will not go quietly into the good night. We have people who just live for small town police bother. Well, and we've gotten so many positive comments. That's the only negative comment we've ever gotten. We've got hundreds of positive comments saying, "I love that part. But don't take it out." Don't take. We have asked people; they didn't want to take it out. So, guess what, Murph? We're not going to take it out. But there's only one way you can hear about small town police blotter, and that's if I ask you once again, like the TV announcer does at the very end, where he repeats stuff very, very fast. Guess what time it is, Murph? Guess what time it is? What time is it, Mister Murph? It's time for small town police blotter. Anyway, hey, Ag Harris the fourth again copied us on something on the Facebook page, and I thought, this is small-town police blotter material. Mm-hmm. And we appreciate that. We appreciate that. A.G. Harris, the fourth. The fourth, or IV. I don't know if you're in a hospital and you're on, and that's A.G. Harris IV stat or A.G. Harris, the fourth. Anyway, A.G. Harris IV says, hey, this comes to us from Tazewell, Tennessee, population 2,348. Salute. Salute. So they say, uh, the police department, and this doesn't seem like a big thing, right? But maybe it is. Henry Meade, um, was arrested for DUI. Uh, he was under the influence, uh, apparently quite impaired. Um, he was so unsteady on his feet, they conducted a field sobriety test. They determined he was under the influence. Now, the only thing, the only part about this, Murph, was he happened to be driving the kids' train during the annual Santa Parade. And he was driving a motorized lawnmower with carts full of kids and their families. Oh, it, you know, it's funny, but it's not funny, but it is funny. Well, Murph, when they arrested him, they also found him in possession of what? Meth. A syringe, meth, and several under narcotics as bad as a conductor under the influence and in possession of meth sounds. The mayor would like everybody to know nobody was in danger. Well, first... He tried to point. This is this is spinning. When you're in politics, it's called spin. The mayor pointed out in a joint statement to the town's police chief that the city didn't hire me. No, independently contracted vendors are to blame, even though there are plenty of officers working. Despite this, the Tazewell Police Department responded swiftly to the incident, ensuring the safety of event attendees. The rapid action taken by our law enforcement underscores our commitment to the public safety. It's important to note that in the one-eighth mile radius on Main Street during the event, we had 14 police officers on foot patrol for several several thousand attendees. Public safety is paramount paramount on any day at any time, and this event was no different, except for letting a guy stoned on meth and drunk get onto a riding lawnmower and pull kids. That's that's just sad. You know, you got to laugh here a little bit, but damn. Here's the other thing you have to laugh to. Here's the next rocket scientist that comes along. This comes to us from Franklin County, Ohio. Murph, have you ever seen people post shit on social media? You just go, what the hell were you thinking? Like every day here. Like every every day, yeah. So, uh, Ohio man is facing serious consequences after a Facebook. So, he he made. So, what is it that he could have posted on Facebook that got him in trouble and in handcuffs? Uh, it was something probably law, pro law enforcement because they'll kick you off of that. Uh, well, no, this got him arrested, not kicked oh, off. Oh, arrested! Of it got him arrested. Yeah. What would get you in? What What could you do on Facebook that would get you arrested? Oh, I bet you he's showing off this, his plunder from committing a robbery or a burglary, something like you're, that. You're getting close. Uh, he posted a 12 second video on a personal Facebook page with no privacy settings, so anybody could see it, of him drinking alcohol while behind the wheel of a car. He looks into the camera while music plays raises his eyebrows and takes a swig from a partially covered bottle. Um, 
The camera is flipped around to show his hand with only one finger raised to guide the steering wheel as a wiper moves across the windshield. He even had people write, you've got a distracted and a drunk driver just exponentially causing danger wherever he went. This is what the sheriff's office said. A Facebook friend comments, dude, really? He responds, I'm a good driver. Don't worry. Well, guess what? They did worry. Um, And uh, guess what? He's got his hands full while trying to drive, so drinking and paying attention to his phone. So now he's on the phone. He's drinking. He's driving with one finger. So guess what? They tracked him down, pulled him over, arrested him. Uh, They charged him with five misdemeanor counts, including operating a vehicle under the influence of alcohol or drugs and having an open container. The Facebook posting is evidence that could help prove those charges. Guess what? Wasn't his first time. Wasn't his first go-round. Unbelievable. That's just a surprise, isn't it? The only thing left is, did they find meth in the car? Uh, let's see here. Um, but da, 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 da. And uh, operating a vehicle under the influence of alcohol or drugs and having an open container. No, no meth in this one. All right. Uh, yeah. it's just stupid. You know, that's one thing uh, uh, younger people should be aware of is the things that you post on social media. If you're out looking for a job, they're going to check your social media accounts. As I say, what's the difference between love uh, and YouTube and Facebook? What's that? Uh, YouTube and Facebook, they're forever. And final one, Murph. Speaking of uh, keeping it in the family, as they say, another drinking one. So uh, this hap- this comes to us from my neck of the woods, Culpeper, Virginia, population 20,032. Salute. Man's facing a drunk driving ramp. He blew a .32, which, folks, .08 is the legal limit. I mean, you're, you're presumed drunk at .08. He was four times the legal limit. Well, and, and at, at .4, you're supposed to be dead. Yeah, well, unless you're good at it, like this guy was. So he was pulled over, going to get gas for his riding lawnmower that he was on. He was going to the 7-Eleven for gas, Murph. Yeah. 0.32. Couldn't keep it on the side of the road. (laughs) And you know what? It's not that you were trying to drive back alleys. He is going down. I've been through Main Street in Culpeper. Cute little town. Yeah. Um, He's going down Main Street. Probably didn't even know where he was. Uh, well, he knew he was going to the 7-Eleven for gas, so get yourself a big Slurpee, pal. You're going to need that. Uh, so anyway, 0. .32. Wow. He's probably going to pick up another couple six-packs. <laughs> like he needed it. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so uh, anyway, so lawnmowers are bad. By the way, you can't get arrested for uh, operating under the influence on a lawnmower. It is considered a motorized vehicle. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Especially when you're out on the roadway. In the middle of Main Street. Yeah, going to get more gas. Why do you need to get more gas for if you're on? I mean, anyway, they've heard of gas cans. Anyway, better, I guess, on that than a vehicle. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, more Murph. So this brings us to this month's episode. So yes. uh, this one is because of, uh, well, we got some good friends. Again, Southern California Gang Conference, Mel Sosa, the gang out there. They always yep. take care of us. And we've had people ask this. I, this one is, there's some fun stuff in here, but it's a very serious topic because it deals with health and wellness in law enforcement and the challenges people go through. And Murph, I'll tell you, if somebody went through some challenges, now he's come out of it good. But this was so this was so important when we got into it. We were 90 minutes into it, and we both said, there's no way we can do this in 90 minutes. So this is going to be another Rick Rambo one, or mm-hmm. this is now a four-parter. We'll have part one and two come out the first week, part three and four come out the second week. Yeah, and this this topic is one that some of our listeners expressed an interest in as well. And what we're talking about is wellness when it comes to law enforcement. So our guest today is is Michael Martinez, um, veteran San Diego police officer. 
within his first two years, well, his first shooting came at eight months out of the academy. Within the first two years, he's involved in four shooting incidents. You know, they called him they they called him a shit magnet. I call him a bullet magnet. Um, and and what what how how did that affect him psychologically? His mental composure, what San Diego PD did to uh, try to help him, eventually basically had an intervention. But here's what I like most about Mike is is this is all very transparent. He's very open and honest. You're going to hear things that are going to bring tears to your eyes today and, and next week when the, the next part comes out. Um, it's Mike, we just can't thank you enough for being open. This is for not just for law enforcement. This is a, for all first responders, military personnel, anybody that's in a position in, a, in an occupation where you face danger. You could be electrical lineman, and that's an extremely dangerous job. So um, this hearing what Mike's got to say could benefit anybody that comes across a, a potential PTSD type situation. You know, I mean, the poor guy just all these years later still suffers from headaches and you'll hear his whole story about that in just a minute. Well, and you and I both have talked, we've also, we've all lost friends in the line of duty and I've lost more friends to suicide than I have uh, to felonious acts or, you know, uh, being shot or uh, killed on duty. And this is a very serious topic. I mean, we have some fun with it. He tells you about some of the fun things he did as a rookie. But yeah, imagine, like you say, in the first 18 months, three shootings, and then he, you'll hear about what he did, his recovery. Mm-hmm. And then just right out of recovery, he's involved in another shooting. So four in less than two years. Yeah. And, and we're just going to throw this out here at the beginning and the end also is if you're considering suicide, if you're in some psychological distress, there is a national hotline. Just dial 988. Please remember that, 988. You'll hear us talk about it in the interview. You're going to hear it again at the interview. 988. There's no need to commit suicide. There's somebody out there waiting to help you. Yeah, there's no need to be alone. Uh, You've got people out there, so 988. Uh, get yourself some help. But hey, look, Murph, this is, I mean, it's, we had a little bit of fun with this because Mike does have fun with this. He's a great mm-hmm. guy. But let's talk about this. There's only one way we're going to find out about this. And I ask you, because this, I mean, this really encapsulates how dangerous it is sometimes. So let me ask you, are you ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the game of crimes? Absolutely. This is one of the most important interviews we've ever done with anybody. So get in, sit down, shut up, hold on, and this time, listen. Bring on Mike. Well, you folks are definitely in for a treat. Um, first of all, uh, Murph, I know you wanted to give a shout out to our buddy who helped us arrange this interview again. I do. There's a, a guy in San Diego named Mel. I won't say his last name because I'm, you know, I won't even get pissed off at me. But Mel has made a ton of introductions as guests for our shows here, and uh, he's done the same today. I think in reality, it's probably Santi is the one that knows everybody, and Mel just gets the credit. <laughs> oh, Mel, Mel's designed to be a Fed. Then, okay, good. <laughs> But uh, very, very honored to have our special guest today on Michael Martinez with the San Diego Police Department. Woohoo! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me on. And, and uh, yeah, big shout out to Mel. He's a solid, solold guy. Thank you guys for. Uh, or thank thank him for connecting us all together. Love those guys out there. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Well, and you got a great story too because uh, we're going to talk about this. You've been involved in four officer involved shootings. Um, you, you've been involved in more stuff within about four years than most people are involved in in an entire. Some don't even go through it in a career. Right. Um, and so, and we're going to talk about the things you went through, the recovery you went through. But before we can get into any of that, 
because you're coming to us from sunny San Diego, right? Where anybody can be a weatherman because Ron Burgundy, you know, the legend, yeah, sure. Anthony, right? <laughs> it's always 80 degrees and sunny in San Diego. But with you, Michael, we got to ask, how did you get started? Cosa Nostra, thing of ours. How did you get started in this thing of ours? Were you just like a Ute hanging around the gas lamp district, you know, stealing beer? What was going on? How, what was your first, you know, foray into the law? How did you get started in this thing of ours we call law enforcement? You know, I wasn't I wasn't far from that description that you uh, that you just mentioned. I wasn't uh, I wasn't the best kid growing up. Um, uh, I grew up in uh, South San Diego, and uh, I wasn't a that good of a student uh, in in middle school and high school. Got in trouble a lot, and uh, my uh, I was I got in, into a bunch of fights in high school, <clears throat> and uh, my parents ended up taking me out of uh, public school and they put me in private school. So I always, uh, you know, I always credit them for, you know, they, they obviously saw, um, more, more in me than, than what I, what I saw in myself. What were you getting into fights over? Um, you, you know, just ego. That's that very long story short, you know, now looking back at it, it was just, it was just all ego. Uh, it, it was just all ego, but, uh, went to, uh, went to, private school and uh and ended up graduating from from high school and when i was in in my in high school the um the counselor she came to me and she said hey you know your overall grades are good enough to get you into a four-year university and i you know i said what's a four-year university i was i was ignorant i didn't, I didn't really know much my, my goal my plan was just to get a job and just you know hang out here in San Diego, maybe go to a two-year university or something like that, or, or two-year um, community college. And uh, that was, that was my, that was my goal. But she kind of talked me into, you know, she's like, Hey, take this book, uh, you know, this little magazine home. It had all the private uh, Catholic universities um, in the U S and she's like, take a look at it, circle some that you may want to, uh, that you may want to apply to, and I'll help you apply. So, um, Obviously, I'm a San Diego boy. I don't like the cold weather, and, and <laughs> I, uh, you know, like you said, 80 degrees, right? That's uh, that's every day. You know, if it gets be- below 79, then I'm, you know, I'm throwing on a jacket and a hoodie, and you know, uh, sweatpants, and uh, trying to <laughs> trying to stay warm. So the struggle is real in San Diego. The struggle Diego. is real. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That sounds, like the, that sounds like the people here in Orlando, man. If it drops down to like 65, they got on parkas and gloves and <laughs> scarves. And when I was a trooper out there working all by myself covering six counties it would be blowing 25 30 miles an hour the temperature would be 10 you know five degrees and i'd be out there with just a long sleeve shirt pair of gloves and a campaign hat we Uh, were tough back then yeah Yeah. we knew they didn't hire you because you're real smart morgan we know that (laughs) (laughs) i would i wouldn't have survived that weather i'll tell you that Well, it's a good thing you stayed in San Diego. Now, with all your little times you had in high school, did you were you ever arrested by the police for your fighting, or was that all handled just in school? You know, it was handled in school. There was a couple of contacts I had with with police. I never got arrested or anything like that. But uh, but that that was that was as far as it went. I never, you know, I never went to juvenile hall or you know, usually my parents picked me up. So um, that was my that was my extent and my experience with with law enforcement, and it wasn't in the in the most positive light. Well, talk about your – so you're looking at universities, uh, Catholic universities, right? So what is it you felt like you wanted to study? If you're going to go to college for four years, what, what, what interested you at that point? 
So at that point, um, my my goal was to to work with at risk teens, and so I was thinking, you know, maybe I'll be a, a psychologist or a, a therapist and work with work with at risk teens. So uh, you know, when I when the counselor gave me that book, you know, I looked through it and I was like, well, I'm not going to the East Coast because I don't want to work anywhere or live anywhere where it's uh you know fifty below, <laughs> you know, uh, fifty I'm a or tough zero. Guy, but it's, yeah, but if it gets below eighty, I'm not so tough. Yeah, so I'm not good. so tough. Yeah, so so I. Uh, uh, I, I circled the uh, at the very last page. It was Alaska and Hawaii, and of course, you know, it, it, you don't have to think too hard as to what the uh, w- what option I chose. It was it was Hawaii, so I went to um, Shamanon University. Oh yeah, and, great basketball team they had yeah, there too. Yep, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, so I, I ended up uh, attending Shamanon University. The uh, the counselor really uh, she really hooked me up and you know helped me fill out all the paperwork and, and, you know, talk my parents through all the FAFSA and all the other, you know, paperwork that's involved. And, uh, yeah, she got the ball rolling. And, um, and I think the most important thing was I, I had to get out of California, uh, just the, 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 uh, route that I was going, the direction that I was going, um, as a, as a teenager, um, it wasn't in the, in, in, you know, nothing positive was going to come out of me staying in San Diego or me staying in California. Was there what, what, talk us about growing up though your high school? Why did you want to work with at risk youth? I mean, what was it about it growing up? I mean, were there, was there like uh, in your high school? Did you have issues with gangs or other types of things that you were concerned about? Yeah, you know there was there was gang activity. Um, you know, I have I have family members that are that are uh, in the mix with all that stuff too, or or they were. You know, some many of them have already passed away, but. Uh, but I, I've always been around uh, that type of environment. When I was in high school, I was around that environment. Um, and at the time, I just felt that you know, uh, there's a there's a uh, there's an opportunity for me to help kids like myself. You know, kids that you know uh, lived in low income um, homes, maybe lived with one or two parents, or you know, lived with their grandparents or stuff like that. That's that's what a lot of my friends were. They uh, low income uh, community. And, and some of them didn't live with their parents at all. They lived, you know, they were raised by their aunts or grandparents. So th- that was my goal. I was like, you know, I'm going to, if I go to college and I'm going to get a degree, I'll get a, a degree in psychology and I'll work with, with at-risk uh, youth. How did, how did you avoid getting caught up in the gang scene out there? You know, I, I knew... I knew that that wasn't the exact path that I wanted to take. Um, luckily, I had family members who, who were uh, in the mix. Um, and they were a lot older than me, my cousins and uncles. And they always told me to, even though I was able to hang out with them and, and, you know, hang around them and stuff. Um, they always kept me away from making that one, you know, decision to, to go ahead and, and, and join. So that they, they kind of kept me out of it for the most part. Nice. So you go from starting fights to wanting to stopping fights and keeping kids out of fights. Right. So, right. Um, it, was that because of what you saw? I mean, it's kind of, I mean, that seems like a big extreme. It's like you deciding one day, Hey, I love San Diego. Like you said, now I'm going to move to Alaska. Right. So that's kind of a big extreme going from being involved in a lot of that to saying, Hey, I want to work with these kids. What flipped the switch for you? What, wh- where did that happen at? Was it a, an event? Did you see some things happen? You know, uh, have some friends get caught up in some pretty bad stuff. What caused you to flip that switch to go? Yeah, I'm, I'm tired of starting fights. You know, I want to be on the other side of this now. You know, I I think it was it was uh um I knew I knew that that wasn't the the direction that I wanted my life to go, and I knew that if I was going to go to Hawaii um and I was gonna I was gonna move away from home, I had to make the best uh the the best you know 
out of that experience, right? Um, I had to take advantage of everything that that experience or that opportunity get, had to offer. So I think it was just more so of of hey, if I'm going to move to if I'm going to move from San Diego to Hawaii and I'm going to be there for you know four or five years, getting a degree, uh, what am I going to do with that that opportunity? Obviously, I'm not going to waste it. So um, that's, that's I think that's kind of where that that switch you know happened it was that it was that opportunity of me being able to leave california and make a uh start a new life basically wow you, i tell you what you were a lot more mature at that age than, than i was <laughs> holy cow i was more concerned about where are the girls where are the beer well you know it sounds like though but you but um one of the things it sounds like though too is that your parents were uh really good people i mean um, were they, which generation, uh, are they, uh, you know, originally, are they from Mexico? Were they born here? Where did they come from? Yeah. So they were, they were bo- both, uh, born here in San Diego. My grandparents, they're, they're from Mexico, but, um, my parents are both born here in San Diego and, uh, they, they, you know, they struggled, um, with that, that gang life. Um, also, you know, the, the, uh, uh, low income, poor community. Um, but they, they were able once, you know, once they had me and my brother, uh, th- they were able to kind of get out of that lifestyle. And, and I, I always remember my dad, um, my, my parents were meet when I was growing up, my parents were never, you know, really involved in that gang activity. That was more so when they were in their teens and, and whatnot. But uh, I always remember my dad working, you know, two, three jobs. Uh, he, he was, he was home sometimes on the weekends and, and, uh, but he was just always working and providing for us. And I always remember also my mom, you know, she always worked long hours whenever she was at work. So, you know, we would, you know, we would walk to school on our own and, and my mom would come home at, you know, six, seven o'clock. I felt like at night and, 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 uh, uh they, 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 uh, they did a good job, uh, supporting, supporting us and providing for us you know that we we didn't obviously have everything that we always wanted but we always had everything that we needed very are you married and have children i do i i do i have two uh two young boys and and i'm married wow so right. they've got some lessons to learn from dad here right because it just sounds like your mom and dad did a fantastic job awesome job awesome job the other thing, too, it sounds like you get to a certain point is they knew what it was like to grow up, you know, in the hard life. And, like, you didn't want to dis- disappoint them either, right? You didn't want to, after everything they put into it, you don't want to say, yeah, hey, guess what? You know, your son's a failure. I've, I've decided to get hooked <laughs> up in gangs and go to prison. Yeah. You know, happy birthday, Ma. Yeah. But so let's talk about going to Hawaii, Shamanad, right? So yes. how long did it take you before you started going mahalo, bro? Oh, it, it, it was, it, it took, it took a little while. It was funny because, you know, when I was, when I first got there, you're um, more like, what's up essay. Yeah. I was like, I was like watching my back and, and you know, everybody was like, aloha. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. What'd you call me? Yeah. So, uh, no, it was, it was good. You know, the, uh, you know, Hawaii is a, it's a beautiful place, uh, obviously way laid back. Um, uh, relaxed, you know, uh, compared to the hustle and bustle, the fast paced life here in, here in California and San Diego, it almost felt like nobody was ever in a rush to go anywhere. I, it, it was just, uh, you know, you, I'm used to driving fast on the streets. And when I'm there, it's like, everybody is just like, yeah, um, I start work at seven, but if I get there at seven Oh five, seven ten, it's not a bit, that's what it felt like. I was just always, I felt like I was always in a rush, but people there were just kind of like, 
hey, just relax, brah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, did you learn to surf? You know what? I tried that uh, quite a few times and I was never able to, I was never able to get up on, on the board. I could paddle board. I can, I can, when it's a, the water's a lot calmer, but I, I was never able to, uh, uh, to, to get into, into surfing. I wish I, I wish I would have tried a lot more, had a lot more time to, uh, to take that, that, um, uh, you know, to learn, to learn how to surf. So where's Chaminade University? Tell us now about the university, where it's located at, you know, how big of a school is it? Yeah, so it's a it's a private uh, private university, uh, Catholic university, and it's uh, in in Honolulu. Um, in yeah, I'm not I'm not even exactly too sure how how many you know students or what the you know what that what that looks like. But it's a it's a small it's a small university. It's not like University of Hawaii, which that's that's a lot bigger. Um, this is one is a it's a lot more private and small. Yeah. So um, so you move out there, so. What was it? So you're going through there. What point did law enforcement start entering your mind? Was that after college, sometime during college? When did this thing uh, that finally led you to San Diego PD start, uh, you know, bubbling up? Yeah. So, so um, when I first went to to Chaminade, my uh, again, my goal was to get a, a, a degree in psychology. And after my first year uh, of living out there, I started working at the Queens Medical Center. Uh, which is the the trauma center um, in in Honolulu, and I worked security there. And when I was working security, it was uh, I, I got I got bit by the the law enforcement bug there. That's where I got the my first you know hit of that adrenaline rush, the excitement. Um, it was fun to go to work every single day and hang out with the you know the other uh, security officers that I was working with, and we all became good buddies. But the uh you know Honolulu PD would bring in their psych patients or their 5150 patients um and in the emergency room and the fight would be on you know the the you know oh and you know something about fighting don't you <laughs> I, I, I think i do i think i do <laughs> <laughs> see this is this is where your san diego is coming hi okay y'all hang back watch yeah. this <laughs> i wish i had it like that i wish but you know it, it was uh it was it was exciting you know the the um you know the fights would be on the 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 patients would be literally you know knocking out nurses and doctors um there was an inpatient treatment uh center up on the i think it was on the fourth or fifth floor it was called kekela and that was the uh that was the inpatient psych ward at the at the hospital and you know there would be patients that would escape from from uh you know escape from the psych ward and they'd be running down the street and you know they call security and we're out there chasing them on foot and we take them you know get them back into custody or you know bring them back to the to the hospital and i was like damn i like this this adrenaline rush was it you know that it's exciting you know you know running down the middle of the street you know chasing people breaking up fights at the hospital and you say that now i think i've told this story before but as a as a rookie police officer in salina kansas i was also training to become an emt we're doing our rotation at um i think it's uh i can't think of the the hospital that's on santa fe street there but um so we're there one night and a psych patient goes running out. So there's a bunch of us running after him and plain clothes, you know, doing EMT stuff. So we get the guy, we're out in the middle of a busy four lane, you know, road, two lanes south, two lanes north, kids are cruising around. 
I got this guy held down and they're bringing a shot like a Thorazine, you know, and they say, stand by, you know, we, we got the Thorazine. And then all of a sudden they say, you know, they start, I feel my pants start to go down. My right buttock starts getting exposed. I said, wrong guy, wrong guy. They're about to shoot me up. <laughs> that explains a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it explains. <laughs> they, it was hard to tell who was the patient at that point. It's like, get that away from me. You know, yeah. I was just said- a couple seconds away from going into a, you know, sleep mode. So yeah, for go. about a day. <laughs> Sleeping you, for about a day. You mentioned the fifty-one fifty patient. Tell us what that is. Uh, psych psych patient. Uh, you know, psychiatric uh, patient or or you know our you know the prisoners when we you know not prisoners but when we you know we take somebody in for a you know fifty-one fifty or a psych eval, uh, they're a danger to themselves to others or they're unable to you know care for themselves. If you if you use acronyms here, you have to tell us what they are. Yeah. Oh, and All it right. was Asbury Hospital now called, uh, I think it's Salina Regional uh, Medical, Regional Health Center. Anyway, that was it. it just got to close the loop on that. So you're, you're dealing with all of these guys. Um, but now, did that dissuade you from going into the psychiatric side or like I said, you wanted a degree in psychology? Did that steer you start towards the law enforcement side or were you still like, hey, I, I want to do this at risk work? You know, it, it was it was a little bit of both. I didn't know which direction I wanted to go, so I ended up getting a degree in. Uh, you know, I got a bachelor of arts in psychology, and then I got a, a bachelor of science in criminology and criminal justice. And at, at the time, you know, I didn't know which way I wanted to go. I didn't know if I wanted to go with the you know at risk you know youth route, or I wanted to get into to law enforcement. I didn't know too much about law enforcement besides, you know, what, you know, kind of what we were doing and, you know, rubbing elbows with, you know, the cops out in Hawaii. So did you get both degrees during that four years or did you go an extra year? So I did an extra year. So I, I, I stayed in college for five years and then in total, I stayed in Hawaii for 10 years. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Well, so uh, that that explains the lay around your neck, you know, and the little uh, white shirt. <laughs> my colorful, my colorful shirt here. Oh man, I think best best set of shirts I got when I was over in Hawaii were these. I think called Tory Richards. They were just beautiful, handmade, and the buttons were handmade from seashells. I mean, just beautiful, intricate artwork. I love the uh, stuff. But so you stayed in Hawaii. So when you graduated, what did you do? Where did you apply? What did you do after that? Yeah. So, uh, after graduating, um, I, I think I stayed maybe another, you know, one or two years at the Queens medical center. And then that's when I kind of made that decision. You know what? I want to go, I want to go the law enforcement route. Um, I applied for, uh, um, uh, state corrections. Uh, I got picked up with, uh, the state of Hawaii. Uh, I was working in the, uh, at the, um, uh, the Hawaii youth correctional facility. And, uh, that was, you know, that was, that was fun, but I quickly realized that that wasn't my cup of tea custody. Uh, you know, custody wasn't my cup of tea. I didn't like being indoors all day long. Uh, you know, you would go in, you know, I don't know, we'd start at six, five o'clock in the morning when it's still dark. And then I would be getting out of work and it's dark Again, because you know you work a sixteen-hour shift, the rookies, right? The boots, they're you know you're gonna you're gonna get held over all the time. So it, it just it, it just wasn't for me. I mean, it was it was fun, it was exciting, it was good pay. I, I learned a lot, uh, got a lot of experience out of it. But that custody just it, it wasn't my cup of tea. I wanted to be out in the streets and talking with people and being able to smell the fresh air. <laughs> Speaking of fresh air and stuff over there, some of the best fruit I ever got came out oh, of yeah. Hawaii. Oh, mean, my gosh. Right from the plantation, the pineapple especially. I can't tell you how good. What was your favorite food um, coming out of Hawaii? What did you... Uh, what did you pick up? What What became uh, something you brought with you back to California? Pokey. 
Yep. Tell uh, us what that is. It's it's raw raw fish. Oh, you know, you, sushi. You would you most people would look look at it as as sushi, but it's oh, just you mean, it's you just, mean you mean bait. Yeah, it kind of looks like bait. It kind of exactly. It looks exactly like bait. Cubed cubed fish. <laughs> it, oh, that's it is that's delicious. I can I can eat that oh. morning or night. Oh, yep. okay. Yeah. There's a couple things you should have left in Hawaii, bra. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you, you guys are telling me you don't like fish, sushi? No fish, man. No seafood. Oh, I like I like fish, but it needs to be cooked. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Although I did have some. Uh, we were up in uh, Calgary, Canada, one time, and and a man up there had some uh, fresh bluefin tuna. Now I could have lived off that for quite a while. I bet. Very good. I got sick as a kid living in Iran. My dad was military. I got sick from eating tuna, and it about took me out. They almost shipped me back to the United States, and it was like, can't ever see myself getting close to seafood again after that experience. <laughs> I was sick for six months. You know, oh, that, that's that's the same way I feel about tequila. Tequila. Everybody's got it. Let's <laughs> hear the tequila story now that oh, you Oh no, it up. you don't want to hear that. You know? Oh yes, we do. You can't bring it up and not talk about it. Let's hear your tequila story, yeah. amigo. I just, I just think was I, it in Hawaii or in California? Yeah, I don't even remember. <laughs> but I, I just know, I just know that I can't, I can't drink it anymore. I mean, I, I even see people taking, you know, you know, see people taking shots, and my, my mouth starts watering. I'm like, oh lord, I, I can't do that. <laughs> Oh, my, mine came from college too. I'd never, I did I was a little farm boy. Didn't know what tequila was. Some said, here, try this. Then it was one, two, one tequila, two tequila, three tequila floor, you know? <laughs> yep. Exactly. Absolutely. Yep. We had a tradition in Bogota that uh, when you were transferring out, we'd have a big going away party. And at the end of the night, or probably the next morning when the sun was coming up, we had the circle of gold and that involved Cuervo gold. And it was, I've seen us go through as many as five bottles of that. And it's oh, just nasty. Yeah. Oh, look, look at him right now. He's breaking up sweat. He's going, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now I'm about to end this session. You're <laughs> <laughs> having flashbacks here. I <laughs> am. I am. Get the full body shutter. So <laughs> what pr- prompted you then? Um, so you're in Hawaii. What prompted you to say, hey, time to leave uh, the Aloha State and come back to uh, California? You, you know, it was, a, it was a mixture of things. It was uh, uh, me being you know, homesick, you know, to the point where it was like, you know, it's time to go home, time to spend time with family. Not you know. married at that point? You know, no, not married at that point. You know, I had, a, I was, uh, I was engaged. Uh, so I had a fiance. I met my, my, uh, my wife in college. And at that point, uh, you know, we were, we were engaged. Um, I was still working at the correctional facility. I knew that, Hey, this, you know, corrections is not my cup of tea. Um, let's, let's start looking for, um, a, a career in, in, in law enforcement as a, as a police officer with the sheriff's department. So then I just started applying and obviously, you know, I wanted to move back to San Diego. So I started applying with agencies here in Southern California and it's it, a little difficult to fly back and forth for interviews, isn't it? It is. It is. You know, in the, the first couple of times, uh, it, I thought, you know, I could probably do this, you know, save a couple of, save some money and, you know, fly back and forth. They had, you know, most agencies have that out of state, um, out of state applica- uh, applicant process. So they kind of cut your, you know, your trips from, you know, having it, you know, into like, I don't know, maybe two or three, you know, trips um, and you'll finish the process. But it, you know, that, that became expensive. It, it became too expensive. And because of my, uh, extensive 
background history of not being such a good, uh, a, a, a good, um, citizen uh there was times when they would say you know what uh you know when i applied for san diego police department they told me i think the first time they told me you know let's uh let's do a three-year um you got to wait for three years before you reapply um you know obviously we're not going to take you right now and then i applied again i waited another three years and then they told me you know let's wait another two years so it was uh it, it I was the feeling San Diego really didn't want to hire yeah. you. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't want to hire me, but, but I was dedicated. Them, you're gonna wear them down, aren't you? I am, I am. I I, I uh I, I did. So it was it was good. It, it, you know, we me and my wife, we both decided, you know, or yeah, fiance at the time, we both decided, you know what, let's move to back to San Diego. Uh and um it's gonna be easier for me to to apply. Uh, for agencies. And that's what we did. We moved back to San Diego. Um, I got the first job that, I, that, that hired me, which was um, San Diego County animal control. So I was, I was catching the, the four legged uh, animals oh, yeah. out there, you know, <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and that was, that was actually, that was actually really fun. I, I, I actually, I, I never thought that I would ever be an animal control officer, but that job was Wait actually I went very to school for five I, years yeah. <laughs> degrees in psychology and criminal justice. Yep. Do you yeah. know who I am? Yeah. But it was fun. It was fun, exciting. The people that I work with, they were cool. You know, it, it was, it was a good time, but I only did that for about two years. And then I finally got picked up with San Diego PD. So now Ooh. is your wife from the islands? So where's she from? Yes. So she's, she was, uh, uh, she was born in California, um, and then moved to, to Hawaii. She had been out there at the time. I don't know, maybe like 20, she had lived out there for like 20 years or something like that. So what did it take to get her to come back to California with you? It, you know, it wasn't much. She was ready. She was actually ready to, ready to come back to, uh, to California. She, she was, you know, well, she you wanted thought to California expand. was expensive, right? Try Hawaii, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. People always say they're like, oh, you know, Hawaii is or California is just a, as expensive as Hawaii. And I'm like, well, wait till you live there. Like, try living there and seeing how much milk is and how much groceries is. It's it's way more expensive than California. Because everything has to be flown or shipped in. I mean, there's everything, everything fruit is. or other stuff. It's like it all has to be, you know, transported over. Man, so the cost of it just goes through the roof so what how old were you when you finally got on the uh the pd how old was i um i think i got hired at 29 and i think i didn't you know i finally it, I, was, I was probably like 30 years old because I've, I've been on the department now for seven years um so yeah i was probably about 29 30 years old when i got finally got hired i talk mm. about persistence man you're not kidding yeah, I, I knew that. I knew it was what I wanted to do. Um, I knew law enforcement was was the route that I wanted to go. I didn't want to, you know. Although I liked it, I didn't want to do animal control. Um, I didn't want to do corrections, so I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna work corrections. Well, by the time uh, you got on the street, though, you'd you'd work in the psych ward. You'd work, you know, with juveniles. You'd work animal control. You'd work custody. So you'd kind of had a good feeling. I mean, you've kind of got mm-hmm. some good experience going in. So how did how did it start out for you? You get into the academy. You probably got to be what um, right in the middle of the the age bracket, or were you a little bit more towards the older? You know, that's a good question. I I, I would say I'd, I was probably either right there in the middle or a little bit a little bit on the on the older side. But um, yeah, the, I, I I can't even I don't even remember. I think I was probably right there in the middle. So when you got hired on, you remember how many people uh, were in your class with you? That's a good question. I I don't even remember. Probably about. 
probably about 35, I would say. Okay. It's probably like a, with San Diego PD because it it's the uh, San Diego County Regional Academy. So you have agencies from, you know, all over the county of San Diego that go to that to that academy. Um, so I think I think we probably had about a good 30 San Diego P- PD. Uh, and how long was your academy? Uh, six months. Yeah, it was a six-month wow. police academy. So did you, have to did you go home? And, go ahead. I'm sorry. You got it. The same question. Uh, so yes, I, it was. It's not a living academy. So we went home at the end of the day and did it all over again the next day. So you go through this six months. Um, now you're, you're so you're kind of older. You've been through a lot of stuff. So during this academy, did that? Did your prior experience help you during the academy, or did it not? Did it not factor in? Uh, you know, it, it, it was. Uh, I still learned a ton, but I think for me, it was easier to, for the the role playing. You know, the scenarios and the role playing, especially when they want a crazy person who wants to fight. You're going, "Hey, I'm your Huckleberry, right over yeah. here." Bro. Yeah. Bro, I got you, bra. <laughs> exactly. It was. It, it was. Uh, it was easier for me to. I, I felt. I felt it was. It came. You need like a fifty-one fifty. Uh, it's me, man. This me. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it felt like it was uh, second nature, just being able to just talk to people, contact people. Um, uh, it, 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 for me, it just felt a little bit easier. I mean, again, I was still learning a ton in the academy, and you know, learning the 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 police way to do things. But it, it, that that I think it was it, it was a um, it was easier for me to just being able to do the role playing and contacting people, talking to people, starting conversations, you know, all the stuff that we train. Mm-hmm. So what was the hardest part of the Academy for you? Uh, I think it was adjusting. Uh, so when, when I started the Academy, I had, uh, I have just gotten married the year prior and that same year of uh, just a few months before I started the Academy, me and my wife had uh, um, our first son. And he was obviously, you know, just months old. So I think it was trying to navigate still learning how to be a, you know, a husband, you know, trying to, trying to learn that, that role. And then now being a brand new father and kind of that, the, uh, the stress that comes with being at the academy, you know, studying, um, you know, it, it, it just it, prioritizing, I guess, prioritizing, starting to learn how to prioritize work life and and family so that that thing that was the biggest struggle it wasn't so much the academy at least for me nice. so you go through six months um any funny uh stories we should know about that maybe we heard from mel or some other folks that have uh, we've got in writing with a sworn affidavit michael <laughs> I see a big grin coming on his face there there's something here you know i, I there probably is. There, there probably is. What do you I mean just there probably is. I, I, I don't. I don't remember any right now. Uh, oh, there's I don't a good recall. one. I don't I remember. Don't yeah, I don't recall. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sure there was. I, I'll tell you a funny, a funny story. When I was, uh, when I was my first in my in phase training, uh, I. I didn't think I was gonna. Once I got into phase training, and you know, you you have an FTO, and and you know, it's time for you to to rock and roll field training officer and phase training is like, how many phases do you have? Like three or four? We have four. Yeah. So okay. San Diego PD, we have four phases. My first phase, I was, I was a wreck. I didn't know which direction I was going. I mean, I, 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 I didn't know, I didn't really understand it, but I was like, I don't even know how to drive anymore. You know, with somebody sitting next to you and you're like, you know, reading the, you know, reading the call, you're trying to find your, you know, your, 
sense of direction. You're trying to re- recognize, you know, your, you know, what street you just passed. Cause your FTO would be like, Hey, pull over. What street did we just pass? I'm like, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. so I, I was, I thought I wasn't going to make it in so one the correct time. Answer wasn't that one. Behind <laughs> yeah, no, that wasn't. Yeah, that wasn't. So it was funny because my, uh, my FTO, uh, you know, we're, we're driving, you know, there was a day, there was a day when we were driving West and it was already, I don't know, maybe six, seven o'clock. The sun was already starting to go down. And my FTO asked me, he said, Hey, which, uh, which direction does the sun rise? And I was like, well, it rises in the East. He's like, okay, good. Which direction does the sun set? Where does the sun set? I said, it, it sets in the West. And he's like, okay, good. And, and mind you now we're driving Westbound the sun is literally in front of me. It's going down. And he goes, which direction are we traveling right now? And I, I think I said something like, uh, we're traveling south. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. And, and I remember going home that night and I, I was like, babe, I'm going to have to look for another job because I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to make it. So, but I, I did, I ended up making it. A little bit of stress there. Just a little. Yeah. Just a little. I'm wearing a red cape. What color is the, my red cape? I don't yeah. know. Blue? Um, <laughs> but you, but you know, that was I mean, the Fed question. I'm when, telling you, I was a mess. I was a mess on first phase. You actually learn from those things, though. I can remember when I was a rookie, I was riding with a guy named Mike, and, and uh, you know, you'd pull up in traffic, and you finally get to drive, you know, because they always wanted to drive. And I'd pull up at a red light in, behind traffic, just like you normally do in your personal car. And he's like, hey, rookie, okay, now if we get a code three call, how are you going to get out? How are you going to get around that car? Uh, turn the lights and sirens on. He said, you can't physically get this car. You pulled up too damn close to the car. What's wrong with you? You know, to this day, I still kind of stop a little bit back. Yeah. Yep. It's one of those lessons you never forget. I know I rode with you, Murph. Uh, you stopped not only back, <laughs> you, you've got Orlando disease. You stop about a block and a half before the stop sign and you wait. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get a sign that's uh, hanging up, hold it up as I come by people. Pull your freaking car up closer. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Get closer. It is. So, but you do survive uh, your training, right? So, um, how long is your phase training, and what's the final phase? Is that where you're just you're doing everything on your own and just under observation? Yes. Yeah, so, fourth phase, uh, you know, I had a I, all my FTOs were 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 actually great, and I don't just say that, you know, just to say it. I think they they were all awesome. But my fourth phase FTO, uh, it, he, uh, he 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 was solid. I mean, he kind of let me. Just like any FTO should do, right? He let me kind of make those mistakes and then recognize the mistake that I was doing, and you know, while while I was doing it, and and be able to correct it. And um, yeah, it was good. Four phases. Uh, finished up my fourth phase over at Northern Division, and then uh, and then I was assigned to Southern Division. So I was, uh, you know, for San Diego PD, they give you uh, there's a wish list, right? And it doesn't mean that you're going to get that wish list. They just, you know, hey. Give us your top three uh, divisions that you would want to work at, and they kind of figure out how you know if they're going to put you there or not. <clears throat> they try to they try to accommodate you know you uh, where you live you know so if you live you know up north they're going to most likely they're probably not going to send you all the way down to to you know to Southern Division which is near Tijuana, but uh, so they they try to they try to work with people for the most part and and uh, my first choice was Southern Division because. I'm from, you know, I, I grew up in South San Diego. Southern Division was South San Diego. It's you know, in basically where San Isidro is at, um, right by the border, and uh, that was my number one pick. And I got picked. I I, I was um, I was given the opportunity to go work at Southern Division, so that's where I started my career. Tu hablas español? 
see un poquito. That it depends on what it depends on what kind of call I got. Then I don't understand. Not just joking. <laughs> oh, <hablo laughs> I'm just joking. No hablo, no hablo. No, that's like the people you pull over and you get them to sign, sign here. No hablo inglés. Okay, come to you're coming to jail then. Oh, where do you want me to sign? I'll, I'll sign it right <laughs> exactly. now. You need a pen? I got yeah. a pen. Right, I had right. Some- I had some folks do that one time. I was out as a trooper writing them a tick, and they're like, no, I'm English. No, I'm like, well, if you don't speak English, then why, is your, why are your pants unzipped? And the guy's head, he looked down for a second, and I said, there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How many sworn officers do y'all have in San Diego? You know, I think right now, I, I want to say we have maybe 1,700 um, wow. sworn. I believe we have 1,700 sworn, and we're, uh, you know, we're just like every other agency in the nation. Probably right now, aren't we're you? understaffed. Probably. By, How many should you have? You think? I I I think I I don't I don't want to I don't want to say exactly, but I think we're like short. We're understaffed, maybe by like three four hundred. I think we're at we're supposed to be at twenty one hundred. Maybe I'm not I'm not too sure, but I think we're at seventeen hundred right now, and I I know that we're a few hundred short. Man, and that means you're running call to call, right? You know, just. You know, our chief, our, our chief usually, uh, you know, he always says, you know, one call at a time, you know, do the best that you can do on that one call and then move on to the, move on to the next call. Right. Don't rush it. Um, you know, it's, it's the, uh, it's the quality of, of, you know, how we, how we work, not how many calls we could get done in, in, in the shift. Hey players, that is the end of part one. Part two comes out, as always, on Tuesday. In the meantime, go check us out at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, go check out our website, GameofCrimesPodcast.com. We've got a lot more information there, including our book list. Any book written by our guests will be listed there. In the meantime, go check us out also, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. It's where we put a lot more content you won't hear on our regular podcast. We go into a lot more topics, and folks, it is a lot of fun. So go check us out, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. In the meantime, everybody stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow for part two.